Do you want to do more to make impact? How we serve others and our world is how we pay our rent for being here. So get ready to learn how you can make a difference by simply choosing to live and lead with a socially conscious mindset. In this episode of Passion for Impact, I'm having a casual conversation with one of the most influential leaders I have ever worked with. Bob Mills is the kind of human that makes a difference by simply being his infectious, caring, and impactful self. A broadcast veteran, Bob is now retired, but still bursting with stories that will make you laugh, feel inspired, and will most definitely teach you how to be a more effective and caring leader. Now this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for years. Let's do it. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Tricia Miltimore. Thank you for joining in. This is the Passion for Impact podcast, where we have one clear goal to educate, empower, and elevate social consciousness in people, business, and teams. Be sure to subscribe to receive full links, featured companies, people, and offers. To subscribe, visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast. This is an exciting day. The amazing Bob Mills is with us on the show and his puppy. And I am so thrilled because like this man has truly impacted me as a broadcaster back in the day, a parent as he was with me as I started having kids and then just kept having them. And also as a leader as well. Thank you, Bob, for being on the show. How are you? I'm great, Trish. Thanks so much for having me here. I would like to advise your listeners, I'm not the guy that made you have the kids. I was just <laughs> there when you had them. Yes, you were. I know. And it was such an exciting time in my life. It was a little bit stressful as well. There's some stories around that that I want to mention a little bit later on. But one of the things that uh, has always stood out for me for so many years was um, when I had my first, so I had worked at, for those who don't know who are listening, I worked in radio for, for many years, always part-time, but I got to do a lot of on-air cool stuff. And I had moved to a new city when I first got married. I moved to a, a place called Kelowna, BC here in Canada. And Bob was at the station as the program director, I believe, right? You were the program director. Yeah. I was. Yes. And so I decided I wanted to get off air and I wanted to work in sales and whatnot. And then I left shortly after that to open up our own retail music store. But I really missed broadcasting. I really did. And I remember sitting in my home office with my uh, baby probably crying in the room next to me. She's my first, the most difficult one. And I had reached out to you by email and I had thought just to ask, just to be like, hey, I was wondering if there's ever an opportunity where maybe I could do some voicing or anything like that. Uh, and then you replied, and I'll never forget receiving that email. You said, hey, Trish, and you know what? This sounds great. Let's do this. <laughs> and I'll never forget that because you didn't really know much about me. I'd only worked in the station for a little bit, but man, you, you kind of, I felt, I felt like you believed in me. And that is, as I learned throughout the years, the power of your leadership. So I, I want to say thank you for that moment. You gave me a great moment. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> well, your reputation preceded you because you used to live in Kamloops, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And had worked within the company. So I was aware of you mm -hmm. and you know what it's like when you work in smaller or secondary markets. It is so hard to find and keep uh, 
polished broadcasters. Excuse me, my dog is going nuts, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to throw toys to her. Um, oh, and, and you making yourself available, it was a very selfish move on my part to have somebody of your ability hmm. in the marketplace and able to step in at a moment's notice and do a great job. Well, there was, uh, it was certainly exciting to get back into the, the room as well. And that's why I actually started the podcast again, because I actually missed the microphone in many ways. Now, your journey in broadcasting... Thank you for that, by the way. Your journey in broadcasting uh, spanned over 48 years. You're so young. How is that even possible? I don't, I don't understand. And it was a total fluke. Total fluke? Like Total so fluke. You were going to be a teacher? Is that right? Yeah, I was. I went, I went to uh, high school. I, I grew up in Vancouver, and I went to high school at Sir Winston Churchill in Vancouver. And one of my counselors, Mr. Nan, said to me, Bob, I think you'd be a good teacher, and I would recommend you go to Western Washington University. They've got a great program. Obviously, in Washington State, I applied. I was fortunate enough to get in. I was on my way to a teaching degree, and, and as I was going through it, I didn't want to be I didn't want to be a high school teacher. I decided, you know what I want to be? I want to be a professor. I want to get mm. my master's degree, and I want to teach at a university level. Two, after the second year, you're too young for this, but there was a battle between Boeing with their supersonic transport project and the British and French governments with their Concorde project, and it was awarded to the British and French, and that meant Boeing lost out. They laid off thousands upon thousands of engineers. The economy of Western Washington is pretty much dictated by Boeing. And because I was on a reciprocal program at the school, my tuition just went way up. Hmm. So I couldn't go there anymore. And a buddy of mine was moving to Australia. So I moved to Australia. <laughs> and on my way home, I stopped off in Hawaii, where one of my roommates, there were four of us who used to live together in an old house. Anyone who's ever gone to university knows about these days. And I spent a couple of weeks with him. He was in between quarters, not semesters. We were on a quarter system. And we were flying back together to the mainland, but we were flying standby. He got on the plane. I didn't. His best friend, Dave, kind of stayed with me for moral support that day until we could figure out what the heck we were going to do to get me back to the mainland. And he was a, a huge fan of mine for some reason and said, you know what, Bob, you got a great music collection. You love what music and why don't you get into radio? I'm in Hawaii thinking, well, there's something I'll never do. And I get back to the mainland. None of my credits are transferring to Canadian schools or anything. And I don't know what to do. And so after about three months of sitting on my keister, I go down to Canada Manpower and apply with them for what's available. And they've got car wash jobs and dishwasher jobs. And they, this is before the days of really before the days of computers and stuff. It was all, everything was on a three by five card. <laughs> and I see this card go by with writing on the back of it that said broadcasting. 
And I said, what's that one all about to this guy from uh, Canadian, whatever they were, manpower? And he says, oh, it's just a Joe boy job in the mailroom at CBC. And I thought, well, you know, yeah, it's not that big a deal, but it's a foot in the door. How about I take a crack at that? And he says, sure, here's the information. Here's who you want to talk to. So I go down and there's about 12 people in the room applying for this absolutely bottom of the barrel job. And for some reason, I really hit it off with this guy that was interviewing me and he must have taken pity on me. He gives me the job. So I'm there for three weeks and that led to an opportunity in the traffic department, still at CBC. The Joe Boy job in the mailroom was taking mail from their head office at Alberni and Butte and walking it down to the CBC radio studios, which at the time were in the Hotel Vancouver. And you did that eight hours a day. And when I got hired, he said, if we could train a gorilla how to do this, all we'd have to do is give it bananas, but we haven't been able to train a gorilla. You're next on the list. And that's about what they paid me to. So I did that for three weeks get this job in the traffic department doing commercial continuity for the English FM station and the French FM station. And Tricia, believe me when I tell you French FM at the time, we're talking back. This is around 1970 in the 1972 era. And they used to carry Montreal Canadian games. Well, everything was in French. My Ability in French was grade eight and nine high school French, which was basically nothing. But I had to translate if programming goes past eight o'clock after the hockey game, this is what we're going to do. If the hockey game goes into overtime, this is what we're going to do. Except I, I got it. I always got it wrong. And they were never so happy as to see me get the hell out of the traffic department at uh, CBC, <laughs> and during that time that I was screwing things up, they paid for me to go to BCIT for a night school course. And that led to my first on-air job. Wow. So I'm not a teacher. <laughs> well, you say you're not a teacher, but actually I can see how that really fits with your personality because you, you when you are working with people and training them, which you did with me as well, there is definitely that calm uh, teaching kind of vibe you got going on. So that I feel like a lot of the puzzle pieces just came together for me. Um, well, maybe from the outside looking in, but it, it took a while. And, and I'll tell you a story. It really never hit me until I got to Calgary, but I'll, I'll tell you about that down the road. Because my first job in radio, it was, a, it was everything I dreamed of. It was, I had no clue what I was doing, but I loved it. And, <laughs> and you said off the top that I've been doing it for 48 years. Probably haven't been knowing what I've been doing for 48 years, but I've loved it. It's been great. That's really fascinating that you say that, though, because, I mean, you have been um, a source of mentorship for so many people, myself included, that to hear you say that maybe I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing, I think that can relate to so many people and so many leaders, so many people doing starting a business or anything in their profession that they don't always necessarily have to feel totally confident all the time. So what kind of, uh, I don't know, 
wisdom would you pass along to people who are just starting out? And I know you worked with a lot of those kind of people throughout your career. Well, I'll share something with you. Um, and it's very simple. It's very basic. It's, you know, it's golden rule stuff, Trish. It's Mm -hmm. treat others the way you want to be treated. And well, well, well into my career, I was in Calgary, uh, when the manager there said to me, you know what, Bob, you need to be a little more of a hard ass. You need to be tougher on these guys. And I'm like, and I was the program director at the station and, 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 and I'm, you know, you don't normally say to your manager, well, I think you're wrong. Uh, but I, I just always, and I thought, you know, the ratings are up. We have no staff on upheaval. No one's pissed off. Everything's pretty good. Why do I have to be a hard ass? And, and I have found in radio a number of people in positions of authority have a tendency to think they need to be a hard ass. And I've never thought that. And I've never, ever practiced that. I've always tried to look at the person with compassion and think, okay, if you've made a mistake, maybe I can give you some alternatives to avoid that if you find yourself in the same position at another instance. And, and that's really has been my philosophy. It really does shine through. So when you were in Calgary working, that was what, 92 to 94. So that many years had passed where you really kind of probably zoned in on your own philosophy of how you wanted to treat people. Oh yeah. I really had done that in all honesty. Uh, my very first job, which as PD, which as you touched upon was at CKGF in Grand Forks. It was my first on-air job. And after a year, the manager was going to leave. And I thought, hey, here's an opportunity. I said to him about a month before he left the station, how about you give me a kick at the cat of being program director? And he, and he said, sure. The station's yours. Do what you think you need to do. I had no experience, Trish. And I really didn't know what I was doing, but I had the very good fortune of growing up in Vancouver. And a a couple of things happened. I have two older sisters. My older sister, Lori, is a huge, huge music fan. And I grew up, obviously, with my sisters and listening to a lot of music, Lori was, you know, I mean, that was the era of Elvis and the Everly brothers and Buddy Holly. And I grew up through that, which led me right into my own heyday of the British invasion with the Beatles and the Stones and you name it. And the other thing that happened was I grew up listening to Vancouver radio, which was, well, it was major market radio for Canada Stations like CFUN and LG and what would soon become LGFM and then CFOX with jocks like Freddie Latrimo and Daryl B and Roy Hennessy and Doc Harris and JB Shane. I could go on all day long and I'm listening to the best of the best. So even though I didn't know what to do technically about radio, I knew in my head what good radio should sound like. And I always use that as a blueprint to what I should do to try and make my radio stations sound as good as they could. Wow. So you got into a PD position at a pretty 
pretty young age, pretty new into the industry. Is that right? Yeah, I was 21. 21 and program director for anyone who doesn't know what PD stands for, but very cool. Uh, so you kind of move on throughout your career and then you met, met someone who you describe as your mentor. Tell me about your mentor. And then I also want to hit on a little bit for those listening, what mentorship means to you and why you think other people should probably go after it. Fair enough. So in 19... 19- 1978, the opportunity came up within the same company as I was in in Grand Forks, which was Okanagan Radio. A number of my first jobs in radio were with the company Okanagan Radio. It just so happened CKOO, which stood at the time for Oliver Asuyas, uh, needed a just entry-level position jock. And although I was quote-unquote more qualified than that, I really wasn't. But (laughs) <laughs> the job was there. I needed the job. I took the job. And the station's man, the station manager's name was Fred Trainer. And Fred and I clicked from the minute I walked in the door. And he was an experienced guy. He he really wasn't. I think he's maybe five years older than me, but he'd been around. He'd work he's from Nova Scotia originally. He'd worked in the United States in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's won broadcast performer awards. He he just had a wealth of knowledge that I was able, as the old expression goes, like a sponge, suck up. Hmm. And Fred and I are friends to this day. He was my boss who became my friend, and we remain friends. And the things he taught me, not only on the programming side of Radio Trish, but into, into sales uh, which helped supplement a really god awful program wage that I was making, and you get to make a you know a little bit of money from sales commissions, and that helps when you're trying to raise a family, a very young family. And, and Freddie was just he just took me under his wing and taught me the ropes and taught me lessons that I no doubt took on to use throughout my career. Hmm. It's the power of mentorship, which I think should be in every organization in a very intentional way. Yeah. If you can find the right person, not everybody can do it. Not everybody wants to do it. Mm-hmm. But if someone's willing and able and has the ability to do it, uh, and you're fortunate enough to find one, two, or God knows however many you're lucky enough to find in your life. I was lucky enough to find one, but um, that's the way to go. It really is. And I think the more intentional that organizations are about uh, connecting people with mentorship to menteeship, it's just, I mean, I know for myself, it's been a game changer in my own experience and career. And I, what I love about mentorship is it can come in so many different forms. It doesn't have to be super formal, but even like having someone like yourself when I was working in radio to help guide and offer me advice and just even just to see how you did what you do is, is informative. And helpful. Well, what I found, Trish, was it it's a shortcut that helps you <laughs> maybe not make the mistakes that you might make normally on your own trial and error method. Mm-hmm. And with Freddie, he taught me so many things that I was able to use as I moved forward that I wasn't grasping at what if I do this, what if I do that. He'd already taught me. 
he'd already shown me the ropes. So it was great. And, and yeah, it's awesome if you can find those people in your life that can help you move forward. As you did move forward in your career, I mean, there's a beautiful list of all these places you worked at. You, you were also at the Fox in Vancouver from 94 to 2001 as program director. That's a, a good span of time, right? How yeah, did you get that job? And oh my gosh, what a ride that must have been. Okay. Well, after I spent some time in the Okanagan, I, um, I actually put 97 Magic FM Penticton on the air back in 1986. And I told you about Fred Trainer. Mm-hmm. He had moved on to the manager's position, the GM's position in Red Deer at a country station called CKGY. And he and the owner, Rod Steven, wanted to put a second station on the air, a rock station. Uh, and they didn't know anything about FM. It was going to be a an FM rock station. And I helped them with their application with the CRTC. They got it. Long story short, those two radio stations were bought. They were two of the first four radio stations purchased by J.R. Shaw of Shaw Cable fame for his radio empire, Shaw Radio, which is now Chorus Entertainment. And a guy by the name of Terry Strain would come on a couple of years after that to become the president of Shaw Radio. Now, Terry was <laughs> Terry was just an awesome guy, but he was a my way or the highway guy. And if he liked you, God bless you, he took care of you. And if he didn't like you, you didn't work for that company for very long. And luckily, he liked me. And I was in Red Deer at his two radio stations as program director, CKGY and Z99, which I got hired to put on the air after helping these guys with their application with the CRTC. So Terry knew about me, and he knew CFOX was looking for a program director, and he recommended to then general manager, a guy by the name of Chris Pandoff, the nicest man, the most gentlemanly of gentlemen in radio. Just an awesome guy. He was the GM at the Fox. Terry said to Chris, look, there's this guy in Red Deer. He's done a pretty good job for us. Maybe you want to talk to him. And I get a phone call from Chris, and he says to me, Bob, we're looking for a PD. Would you be interested? Wow. And I'm going to tell you right here and right now, Chris, that job scared the crap out of me because I did not. I, I grew up in Vancouver. I was well aware of the Fox. I was well aware of the incredible personalities and people that worked in that building. And you're aware of the Fox. I mean, it's a legend, mm-hmm. not just in this province, but throughout the country. And I didn't want to be known as the guy that screwed up the Fox. (laughs) So I said, well, thanks very much, uh, Chris. Let me think about this and I'll let you know. And I thought about it over the weekend and nothing really changed. And I phoned him and I said, you know, I've just started at Calgary. I was at CJ 92. Um, I really haven't finished what I started out to do. I don't think I'm I'm really in a position to lead these guys. And he said, okay. And then Terry Strain phoned me and said, what's going on? 
I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we want you in Vancouver at Seafox. And I said, Terry, I just, you know, I haven't been in Calgary very long. I'm still working on things for the station. He says, it's a great opportunity, Bob. I said, Terry, I'll tell you what, let me think on it. I'll get back to you. So I thought on it and I phoned him back and I said, it's just not the right time. So what he did was he had his second in command, a guy named Bob Lang phoned me and Bob phoned me and said, I hear you turned down the old man, meaning Terry Strain. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, why the hell won't you just listen to what we have to say? And I said, because I, I, I've thought about it, Bob, but if I turn you down, I don't want to be blackballed by Shaw or Chorus for future opportunities. He said, you won't be. He said, just listen to what we have to say. And I said, fair enough. So that started. Uh, let's see what happened. Chris Pandoff, the GM at Seafox, flew into Calgary to interview me. And then I flew to Vancouver to have another interview with Chris. And then I flew to Edmonton. Chris flew to Edmonton because that's Edmonton was where Terry Strain and Bob Lang were located. And I had another interview. And the whole time I said, here's what I'll do to this radio station, because they'd been in a bit of a problem. They'd gone from a 9.4% of the people listening in the city were listening to Fox, But they'd gone down to a 5.8. Well, a share point, one percentage point at the time was worth about three quarters of a million dollars. So they'd gone from a 9.4 to a 5.8. They were in a bad place financially. And I said, I grew up listening to this station. I know what the heritage of this station is about. I will make it a very hard-edged, guitar-based rock station, and it's going to kick some ass. And if you don't agree with me, don't hire me, because I've got a good job already. I must have said that 15 times. Well, they hired me. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I said, Chris Pandoff came to me, And he said, you can do whatever you need to do to this radio station, but you can't touch Larry and Willie. We've just signed them to a new morning show contract for five years. And I remember saying, Chris, you have no problem with Larry and Willie. That's not what's wrong with your radio station. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, you're playing a lot of the right bands, but a lot of the wrong songs. I said, you've got some wrong people you've got some right people in the wrong place there's a there's a few things going wrong here that we need to fix he said fix it and i said okay so i was there for three months and terry comes into town into vancouver terry strain the president of the company with a couple of his guys and it's me my music director Uh, one of the most fabulous people I ever worked with in the industry. And God knows I have worked with some incredible people, but Rob Robson was his name. Robbie, my music director, myself as PD and Chris Pandoff. And we're meeting with Terry Strain and Bob Lang and and another gentleman, uh, sort of a consultant that they had that had listened to the station and were going to give us feedback. And they said, well, we, we don't think you're doing 
you should be playing this and this and this. And I, I lost it. You know me. Um, and I'm like, wait a minute. You interviewed me three times. You interviewed me in Calgary, in Vancouver, and in Edmonton. And every time I told you what I was going to do, and now you're here because I've done it, and you're telling me I shouldn't have done it? Are you out of your freaking minds? Long story short, there were a lot of things said at that two-hour meeting. About three weeks later, ratings came out. Fox had gone from... I got there in January. Ratings were in uh, March, April, and they were released in May. So May, the ratings came out. We'd gone from a 5.8 to an 8.0. Wow. And that was just the start. And um, Chris picked up the phone and <laughs> phoned Terry and said, look, we're doing pretty good. Get off Bob's ass. And we went on, uh, we, we actually got, uh, two years later, we had ratings, the highest ratings in the station's history of a 10.6. And things were very good in Vancouver at Fox for Bob Mills. And we, it, was just, it was just an amazing time. So on, on the people side of things, and congratulations on that, that sounds like quite the ride for sure. On the people side, what did you have to do? And was it hard making changes and keeping the culture or maybe helping to, to nurture it to thrive? It's always hard when you have to make changes. And it's always the people that make the station the success. People talk about the station and what a great station it is. Well, at the end of the day, it's really the people inside the doors of that radio station that make it work. And I got there January 10th, 1994. I replaced the music director. I replaced the promotion director. I replaced midday announcer. I changed afternoon drive announcers. Larry and Willie, we're still Larry and Willie on the morning show, uh, brought in a new producer. And this was pretty, mu pretty much all done in six weeks. Wow. Uh, and that's when we relaunched it. Uh, it was, I, think it was, I think it was February 22nd, somewhere around there, um, that we had redone all the imaging and had all the new people. Bill Courage was brought in for afternoon drive. Uh, Rob, Rob, Rob Robson, who I'd worked with in Penticton and Red Deer, we were able to get Robbie to come in from Red Deer as music director, Dana Asels moved into the promotion director's role and what a blessing she was. Marianne McKenzie was my assistant program director. She was brilliant at details. Trust me. Uh, Mel Cartouche, uh, was brought in as one of our producers along with George Raymond and Larry Sam Q. Uh, I could go on a Stevie Dunbar. We moved Stevie from, um, afternoon drive into midday and he was just brilliant between Larry and Willie in the morning and Bill in the afternoon. I hired Jeff O'Neill about a year later. Jeff's doing mornings now at Fox, but I hired him from Sudbury, Ontario, if I'm not mistaken. And, and he turned into just a gem and uh, it was, uh, you know, I have loved from, from, CKGF and Grand Forks, which I have a very, very soft spot for, to 
Basilius to Summerland to Penticton to Red Deer to Calgary to Vancouver, they've all been amazing. And the, the people that I've had the opportunity to work with have all been incredible. It's tough when you have to sit across the desk from somebody and say, you can't be part of the team anymore. It's just not working out. There is no easy chair in that room. I don't want to be delivering that news. They don't want to be hearing that news. But in order to do what's right for the radio station, the people that have invested in it, the people that work there so they can keep their jobs because they're doing well, you've got to do it. I always had a philosophy, Trish, of kill the monster while it's small. And although that sounds probably a little bizarre, it's basically if you have a problem, nobody likes conflict. I don't want to get into a conflict with anybody. But if I have a problem I've got to deal with, I deal with it now while it's still relatively small and maybe fixable. And if not, if a change needs to be made, make it. Because Mm -hmm. the longer you leave it, the bigger it grows and the more of a problem it becomes. And, and that's just a philosophy I had for a long, long time. And I always tried to treat my people really, really well. I learned from my father. He had a philosophy of saying thank you for a job well done. Doesn't cost you a penny, but it's worth a million bucks. And I, I believe that. I believe that. Mm-hmm. I think it's very true. One thing that I've noticed throughout the years of being able to work with you was your kindness. And uh, in an industry where sometimes you can run into ego, um, that you you never really had, a, I didn't get a sense of that from you. You were always just so kind and, and helping to make people feel comfortable. I want to share a really quick story. And I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, probably not, but uh, at one point I was filling in for the afternoon drive, I believe, and uh, you would come into the studio to do something. It was one of those, um, the hour ahead was pre-produced segments. I think I was there because there was someone who was on location. So, you know, piping them in kind of thing. And you had just left and something went awry. And I don't know, wh- I didn't know what it was. And you came running back in. You're like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. And you, you did a bunch of stuff on the computer and you fixed it. And <laughs> then I think it was the next day or that night, you called me. You called my house and you had said, you know, I have to tell you, I'm really sorry about what happened. And you explained that was some kind of error, traffic side, something wasn't inserted, produced. I don't know what the situation was exactly, but... It always stuck out to me that you took the time to call me to apologize. I didn't even think you needed to apologize, but that stood out for me. And I have often thought about that moment in my own leadership with our companies and our people about how people like to be treated. And um, do you remember that situation at all? I've never, I don't think I've ever chatted with you about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To be honest, I don't. You probably don't. No, because it's just something you do. But I, I remember it to this day. I, you know, in our industry, and I'm sure, I, I hope you'll agree with me on this. Um, some program, some program directors have this practice of using what we call the hotline, which is a direct line into the control room. It's separate of the phone lines that come in that the public is allowed to phone and, you know, make a request or pass on a news tip or whatever it might be. It's a dedicated line that more often than not a program director can use to get right into the control room right now to talk to the jock. 
Mm-hmm. And, and most PDs use it to give the jock crap because maybe they've made a slight mistake or maybe they've made a big mistake. I always tried to use the hotline for positive reinforcement. If, somebody, mm-hmm. if I heard somebody doing something really well, I phoned them and said, hey, Trish or whoever it may have been, that was awesome what you just did and, and how it worked out and blah, blah, blah. And if I had to give somebody a little reminder of what they did wasn't the best, I never used a hotline for that. I waited till their show was over or I caught up with them the next day and I just said, hey, look, remember when this went down? And they went, yeah. And I said, well, that probably wasn't the best way it could have been handled. And then I would go into my spiel like I told you about earlier of, here's something you might want to consider next time you're in that position. And here's an alternative to maybe get you out of that trouble. So Mm. I tried to always use those, that tool that was available to me as a positive thing, not a negative. I actually have memories of you calling the hotline and saying nice things. That's really amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell your, don't tell your husband. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and if we were to stretch us out to those listening in, in all kinds of organizations, you know, not just radio, but whether you're in a nonprofit or a company, you know, think about that. What could your hotline be? You know, obviously in radio, it's the actual line into the control room. But maybe your hotline could be a quick email you you share or just stopping in to the office or on a Slack channel platform where you're like, hey, just wanted to let you know. And I've always been of the idea that you can never share enough appreciation. And if you think you're sharing a lot, you can double it because people thrive on appreciation and it builds trust and it makes people feel comfortable and safe. You know, I just had a, a coaching call today with a, a person who is just so uh, distraught about her role in her her company right now uh, because she doesn't feel safe. She doesn't feel she can ever speak up. And that that certainly is one of your skills is you made everyone feel very safe and appreciated. Uh, I think if you could bottle it up, that would be, that'd be great. You could sell that, make a lot of money. <laughs> you, you, you know what, Trish, I couldn't agree more with you with what you just said when it comes to passing on positive reinforcement versus negative reinforcement. There's nobody, I don't believe there's anybody unless they're a total dip, you know what, that gets, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and says, I'm going in to screw up at work today. We Mm -hmm. all get up. We all go in to do what we believe will be our best job and give it our best effort. And if somebody cuts you down for what you're doing, for what you consider is a good thing. Now, maybe you have made a mistake and maybe you do need an adjustment, but that can also be done in a positive way. You know, I could say to you, Hey, Trish, remember when you did this, that was just awesome. Didn't come off quite as well this time. Maybe, maybe think about the last time you did that and how well that worked out. And because people will walk away with a much better outlook and feel better about themselves when, when they're told what they're doing has value. When you believe what you're contributing adds to the output of the company or even just perhaps in radios, your own segment of the, of the show, I, I think that's worth it's, – it's, it's unlimited what it's worth. Mm-hmm. 
And you've definitely been able to show throughout your career that by having that philosophy, it definitely has positive outcomes for the company too, for everyone involved, for sure. Can I uh, share one more story with you? Yeah. So I started working with you uh, before I had babies. Like I had mentioned in the beginning of the the show, uh, I had my first baby, then reached out about, hey, I'd like to get back on air. And then throughout that period, I had my second and even had my third. And so a lot of the times, uh, quite a few times, you were so open and flexible around myself and my my babies and I would bring these babies <laughs> and have them I remember in the I, studios have windows in between them so I'd have you know one of the my kids in the baby chair in the other room I could see through the window and it's all soundproof which is fantastic because she might be crying and no one could even hear it right but you were so um gracious and flexible around that and I always put a lot of pressure myself and I probably took on too much a lot of the times and I would be doing on location. I'd have a babysitter working with me or whatever at the station. And uh, it would stress me out a little bit. And I, you got wind one time that maybe I was stressed about it. And you approached me and said, I, I want to apologize. Again, you apologize, you apologize like so wonderfully. And you didn't even need to. I apologize if I put you in a position where you felt like you had to do this or whatever the case may be. Uh, you certainly didn't have to apologize because you asked and I said yes, but it spoke to your compassion and your understanding of what it's like to be a mom, a parent. So where did that come from? Like This is before I feel like things have kind of changed in the conversation in the workplace nowadays, but how, how did you get to a place to be so um, open and flexible around that? And it must have come from a place of personal philosophy as well. Uh, I, I think first and foremost, Probably the way I was raised by my parents, my mom and my dad, uh, mm-hmm. they were very compassionate. They were, they were awesome. Um, and you know, women, women don't have it easy. Like you put a guy, a bunch of guys together and it's just a, it's just a gong show. You put a bunch of women together and the next thing you know, you've got some group that's formed to, help women take care of other women or whatever the case may be. They always come out with a positive thing and guys, you know, they're going to be drunk and end up in jail. So, uh, (laughs) I, I always, again, I go back to that golden rule thing. I always wanted to treat people the way I wanted to be treated. And I just, I, I think one of the greatest compliments I ever received uh, is from a friend of mine. Well, he's no longer with us. His name was Kerry Marshall. I grew up listening to Kerry Marshall. He did news on CFOX for years and years and years. He was on with Larry and Willie. Anyone who's familiar with the CFOX morning show is certainly familiar with Kerry Marshall. We lost him a year ago. It broke my heart. Uh, and he said to me one day, he said, do you want to know who my favorite PD is? And I He'd worked with the best of the best, and I knew he was going to come out with a couple of people that I worshipped, I'm sure. And I said, who's that? And he said, Bob Mills. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who? And he said, no, Bob Mills. He said, do you know why? I said, no. Why? He said, because you've always got our back. You've always got the talent's back. And that to me was... 
well, I don't know that I'll ever get over it, but it was truly an amazing thing to hear from somebody who I admired so much um, that he trusted me and knew that I would that that I would take care of him and all the other people that I was responsible for. And there were at CFOX, I was responsible for fifty five people wow. under programming, creative. I wasn't responsible for sales, but um, production, um, promotions, music. It doesn't, it, it sounds crazy, but it's true. And I don't know that there's that many people. Radio's changed. Trish, you know this as much as anybody else. Radio has changed over the years. and uh, But I still think there's always time to treat people well. And, and I, anytime I'm given that, opportunity. That's how I would handle the situation. Mm -hmm. Certainly true. In 2018, you received the BCAB Broadcaster of the Year Award. What did that feel like? I'm still shocked. I think they made a mistake. <laughs> uh, I, when I got that phone call, it was... Um, what? <laughs> really? Felt, okay, so it, even after all the experience you've had and like working at the Fox and everything, you were still shocked? Oh yeah. Wow. Oh good God, yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think all of us, regardless of what we do, we just think of ourselves as insignificant little nothings other than Donald Trump. But don't get me started on that. <laughs> uh and, you know, I did what I did. I did the best I could. I didn't think it was anything particularly brilliant. But uh, that being said, the radio stations I had the opportunity to work at and the staffs I got to work with and the individuals that gave their best to us to build what we were trying to do to make those stations as good as they could be. Uh, we always had great radio stations. And uh, to be given that kind of an award, for a guy who started in a really small little market like CKGF Grand Forks and, and and worked his way up to a station as as amazing as C Fox and and wrapping up a career in Kelowna with uh, Power 104 and what was at the time CKLV when I got here, uh, yeah, that was just that was pretty sweet. That was pretty mm -hmm. sweet. That must have that must have felt really good for sure. So as we kind of wrap this all up, I mean, again, thank you for all your wisdom. Thank you for your time. I know you're a busy guy, right? Busy guy. Not now. Yeah. <laughs> busy guy Work, working on my golf game. <laughs> nice. Well, that can keep you busy, I am sure, especially in the Okanagan. So let's think back to that moment when you first got that PD job and you had said you didn't even know what you're doing, uh, but you knew what you wanted to achieve or what kind of the idea of what you thought you could create, you know, go back to that moment of that guy. And what kind of wisdom now that you've experienced so much and really been at the top of the industry in radio in Canada and beyond, what would you say to that young person? What kind of wisdom would you pass along? Believe in yourself. There were a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of jobs I accepted well, I'll be honest with you. Every job I accepted, it scared the crap out of me. I didn't want to fail. I was afraid of failing. But I think if we just put the best we've got into what we do, uh, 
there's a really good chance you're not going to fail. Give it the best. And if you don't know, don't be afraid to ask. And, and take the lessons, both good and bad. Good, the ones you've done well on. Bad, the ones you've failed at and get better at them. Um, I think I probably, as I look back, Trish, I have no regrets. I have no regrets when it comes to my career, the things I've done, the people I got to work with. You never want to, you know, there, there were difficult decisions that needed to be made. And there were sometimes um, having to tell somebody they couldn't work with you anymore for whatever the reason. Uh, that's never easy. Those are, those are never fun things. But those are, those are few and far between. I used to say, uh, I've only I, I would hold up one hand and say, I've been in this industry for 20 years, and I would hold up one hand and say, I don't even think I've had this many bad days, meaning five. Hmm. Well, I worked in the industry for 48 years, and I don't think I could count on two hands. I don't think I could get to 10, the bad days I had in 48 years. I had some difficult days. I had some tough days and I did have some bad days, but I don't think I had 10. Wow. And that's not bad in 48 years. That's pretty good. And I think it's a testament of your mindset and how you just approach life in general as well. And of your skills too. Bob, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your wisdom with everyone else. You really are, um, you, you are so much what passion for impact is all about, and that is leadership and making a difference in the world. And it doesn't always have to be building massive companies and be creating huge ripples effects because your ripples are so far, are, go so far just with the individuals and, and the communities that you've served and the people that you've impacted. I am one of them. So this is my opportunity to say thank you. Trisha. Thank you. Thank you so very much. The pleasure was all mine, and I can't thank you enough. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here. Now, if you love learning how to live and lead in a conscious and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, your team members, rate and review this podcast. Thanks again. And remember, cast your vote, make your impact one socially conscious choice at a time. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.